name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. So I apologize, I didn't change the uh, bulletin. Um, but we're, we're doing um, the last of our, of our um, questions that Jesus asks and answers and avoids with um, the last question that Jesus actually answers directly, which is the question that Pilate asks him, so you are a king. Jesus says, you say that I am a king. For this reason, I came into the world, which is a, a perfectly appropriate passage for Christ the King. In fact, I think it used to be the only reading in Christ the King in the, in the, in the older lectionary prayer book. Um, now we have the revised common lectionary. You don't care. But I'm just telling you right now. Um, so I, I, I actually didn't check it until today and I realized, oh, this isn't the same thing, so there you go. Um, we have in this in this this Christ the King Sunday an interesting aspect anyway, which is which is uh, we we talked about this in our prayer book classes, just a, a brief aside, that this is a relatively relatively new addition to the church year. The sort of followed World War One when the Pope said, you know. These earthly rulers have sort of screwed everything up, and lots of people have died for no good reason um, in various countries all around the world. The good news is we have a king who is the king of kings and the lord of lords, and Jesus is the true king, and we should make a liturgical feast that highlights Jesus as the king of kings and lord of lords. And and it, and it caught on, even in... Even in Sort of the Protestant, um, Episcopal, Methodist, Presbyterian, all in the common lectionary now, but we all sort of uh, have adopted this Christ the King. But really, it's like less than a hundred years old that we've been doing this. In fact, if you look at the old prayer book, um, the lections and the readings have to do with Thanksgiving. It's like the feeding of the five thousand and other things like that. It doesn't have anything to do with Christ the King. So it's it's a new it's a new addition, but it's a, but it's an important addition. To um, really, really proclaim what often is is confused because Pilate, even though we're sort of, I say we we're picking on Pilate in this in this instance, but Pilate is just the last in a great many people who are confused about Jesus as being the King or the Messiah being the King or what the Messiah is meant to do or what the kings are meant to do. Because we remember this in Peter, right? When Peter says, you are the Christ, the Messiah. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. And here's what the Messiah, the king, is going to do. He's going to get handed over by the chief priests. And he's going to, to die on the third day. He's going to rise again. And Peter's like, whoa, no. That's not what the king, the Messiah, is going to be. No. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And we have James and John who say, walking down the road, can we, when you get on your throne, can one of us sit on your right hand, one of us sit on your left hand? She's like, you don't know what you're asking. And really, it's not mine to say, but, you know, I don't know if you can drink this cup. Um, and so now, Pilate is asking this sort of same question. 
he's interrogating Jesus to start with of, you know, really why he's been handed over and to see if he's really any threat to the Roman um, Empire or not. Because my guess is he's heard a little bit about Jesus um, over these past few years. He's not just sitting in his palace, not with his ear to the ground. He's sort of heard, and, and this isn't, doesn't seem to be a guy who's gathering soldiers, right? He's not coming into Jerusalem on a white horse with soldiers and armor ready to go. He's coming into Jerusalem on a donkey, followed by a vagabond of fishermen and tax collectors and women. Like, this isn't necessarily the, the band of people who are about to overthrow um, the most powerful military in the world. But, just in case, Pilate asks, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus says, is that your own thought? Or does somebody put that thought in your head, basically? He's like, well, your people are the people that handed over me over to you. You know, they handed me you. Because, um, sorry, I lost my place here. And so Pilate said, Am I Jew? your own nation chief priest have delivered you over to me? What have you done? And then Jesus sort of says, My kingdom, if you want to talk about kingdom, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would be fighting, and I would not have been delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom's not of this world. And so Pilate says to him, so you are a king. And Jesus says, I am a king, right? Basically, yes. You say that I'm a king, those are your words. For this purpose, I was born for this purpose. I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who's of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate says then, what is truth? Because the reality is, the truth of the kingdom of God butts up against the kingdoms of the world. And when we think of kings of the world and rulers of the world who uh, oppress their people, who um, do not seek nine times out of ten justice for their people, but really seek their own power and wealth and control and authority and all the rest. And so Jesus says, my kingdom's not of this world. My kingdom's something else, something greater, something more. As Jesus says, my kingdom of, is not one of power, in military might, my kingdom is one of peace. Because if it was a kingdom like you're talking about, we'd be fighting. My servants would be fighting. We'd be victorious, by the way, sort of implied in that whole thing. But that's not the kingdom we have in the kingdom that I'm going to bring into the world is not one of military might and not one that's going to be achieved by force, but one achieved not only by peace, but one achieved by being a shepherd and a servant and a sacrifice. For we have in, in this passage in Ezekiel, 
right? God, it's sort of a long passage. We, 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 read, we read bits and pieces of this throughout the year, but we never read the whole thing, right? The first, the first part that we read is about the shepherds of Israel who don't do a good job shepherding Israel. And so God says, forget it. You guys are, have been so bad that all of the sheep have been picked off and become prey for everybody else. And so therefore, I will be the good shepherd. And then he starts judging the sheep, which are specifically, especially the rulers. And the one part that we, we didn't read today, which I will read for you in a minute, but, but God says, as, as the shepherd, he goes, I will, I will seek out my sheep. I'll bring them in and I will feed them. I will care for them. I will gather them from the countries and from their own land. And I will feed them with a good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. They shall lie down in good grazing land. And I will be their shepherd. I will be the one to gather them up, says the Lord. And as for you, my flocks, um, before the judgment of, of that, that you keep, you keep um, moving aside, he says, you know, is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you have to tread down the rest of it and to drink the clear water that you have, must muddy the rest of the water with your feet? And everybody else has to muddy the water. And so this is, this is and, and then he goes on with the judgment for the rulers, for the rulers of the kingdoms of the world, which are, is it not enough just to become wealthy that you have to basically ruin it for everybody else? Is it not enough just for you to be top dog, but have to cut everybody else down lower, right? Is it not enough just to be a king that you have to make everybody else impoverished? And God says, so therefore, I will care for my sheep, and I will take care of my lean sheep. And I'll be the good shepherd. Which is not the way kingdoms generally are run. They're not the way they're run during World War I. And they're not the way they were run during World War II. Or now. Or a year from now. Right? This is the ways that, that the world operates. That the kingdoms uh, operate our, our wealth, power, control for a few um, while often muttering the waters for the rest. But Jesus has come to proclaim a new kingdom. A kingdom of, of justice, a kingdom of love and grace, a kingdom where, where the king not only gives himself up for the sheep, but becomes perfect sacrifice for the world. And a king that not only becomes the perfect sacrifice for the world that all might be able to come into the kingdom of God, that we receive inheritance of the kingdom of God, but that we receive an inheritance of the kingdom of God, even now through the Spirit of God, and get to reign as kings. We have a king 
that isn't so worried about his power and authority that he isn't willing to give his spirit to the people of God in order that they too may reign. You can reign. You can give, you can sacrifice. You can serve. You can love. This is, this is the great um, right, underlying message of, of um, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in the Chronicles of Narnia, where Peter and Susan and Edmund and Lucy all reign in Narnia with Aston, right? The, sort of the Christ figure lion. But they, they are kings and queens reigning. Because this is what God wants for all of us. We are a kingdom of priests. We say this all the time in our liturgy. We are a kingdom of priests to serve our God. Who proclaim the love and grace of Jesus. The kingdom of the world is turned upside down as we leave this season of Pentecost and enter the season of Advent where we await the coming of the kingdom once and for all upon the return of Jesus. Um, it's appropriate that we, that we remind ourselves of this, of this wonderful um, shift that God is, is doing in us and through us as a people and as a nation and as a culture. That God desires um, a new and wonderful kingdom. That God invites us into a new and wonderful kingdom. A way that's that's foreign all of the time unless the Spirit of God is upon us because it's counterintuitive. There's, there's a big, big push, even in the church now, that we don't say Christ the King, that we say something like Christ the King, because we don't like kings because kings are bad people. That's the whole point, right? The whole point is that kings have been in the world not necessarily caring for the people that they're serving. But we have a true king, the way the king should be, who cares first and foremost for his people. That came to this world for his people. That came to us to redeem and to draw not only the people of God and Israel, but the whole world into the grace and love of God. This is the joy of Christ the King. We have Jesus who's come to be the Savior of the world, to be the Redeemer, to be the King on the throne, and that we not only can worship this King, but we can reign with Him in the love and peace and justice and grace of the world. Amen.